Welcome to the Dr. Dab Show. Today I have a really special guest with me, someone that you all know and love, Brini Lee. Brini is a YouTube content creator who creates videos on relationships, on leveling up, changing your life, celibacy, and also has a podcast that helps women to learn how to give themselves a pep talk they need to overcome any issues in life. She is an inspiration to many and has taught us so much over the years. I am so excited for her to join us today. Welcome, Brini. Hi. (laughs) So excited to have you here today. I'm so excited to be here. Honestly, I love, 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 love you. I love what you do and everything. I started actually watching you in the lockdown and I was getting my feminine energy and everything. (laughs) So So it's so good to be on your channel, honestly. Thank you. I love you too. And you're so real and you're like a breath of fresh air. Whenever I watch you, I just feel lifted. So thank you so much for just showing up as yourself and helping us watch you through all the different things that have gone on with you in your life. So Brini, you are in a family of how many? How many siblings do you have? I have three siblings. And you are the youngest? I'm the baby, yeah. You're the baby of the three siblings. Okay. And yeah. where's your family from originally? I know you live in the UK, but where are you from originally? My mom's side is Dominican, Caribbean, and my dad's side is St. Lucian. Oh, wow. That's yeah. so cool. Have you been there? I've been, been to St. Lucia. I'm going this year, hopefully. I've been to Dominica because obviously mom's side of the family. Yeah. That is so nice. Now, I know that in your home, you said that you didn't have your father living in the home with you. Yeah. But did you have a relationship with your father at all? No. Basically, my mom left him when I was about three years old. So obviously, like my memories are few. I probably have only one memory of him mm-hmm. and nobody knows where he is now. I always say that I could walk past him in the street and I wouldn't know who he is, which is kind of wild. But at the same time, you don't know what you don't know. So I've never known him. So it hasn't been like a longing or a missing in a physical sense, if you know what I mean. Yeah, I do know what you mean. Yeah. You've done content where you talk about your upbringing and the things that have shaped you as a person, do you feel as if not having him there, even though you didn't know what you were missing out on, affected you in terms of your self-image? A hundred percent. Like a hundred percent daddy issues, Mm -hmm. flying everywhere. As a teenager, I didn't know why I was behaving in the ways I was behaving. But when I became a Christian at 16 and I gave my life to Christ and I started doing a lot of self-development, doing a lot of therapy. That's when I realized that the reason why I was behaving in the ways I was behaving was because I was seeking affirmation. I was seeking attention. I was seeking safety. I was seeking that manly encouragement, affirmation, you know, and I used to seek it in boys looking for my identity in boys, just a male, a male figure. And that was definitely detrimental to me at that age. Right. You said you gave your life to Christ at 16. That's pretty young for someone to decide that they're going to give their life to Christ. What caused that to happen or what made you feel like you needed to repent and change your life? I didn't grow up in a Christian home per se. My mom got saved when I was around about 12 years old. So we started going to church at that age. But at that age, I didn't really know like, what the purpose of going to church was. 
me and my sister used to go to church and like sleep on the chairs. Like we used to just like feel like it was a circus. We used to feel like, why are we here? So at the age of 14, my mom said to me and my sister, you don't have to go to church anymore. Like you go when you want to go. So me and my sister were so happy that we didn't have to go to church anymore. <laughs> and during that time though, I went out into the world. And like I said, I was seeking attention. I was seeking affirmation from boys and doing all the stuff that teenagers do, you know, stealing, partying, drinking, you know, smoking weed, all that kind of stuff. And even though looking back, I would say I was probably in the world for like three years. Mm -hmm. I did a lot and I saw a whole lot. And I felt like my life was going in circles. I felt like I need a change. I need something to change. And I remember I started telling guys that I was a virgin. I said to myself, I need a clean slate. I don't know what it is, but I need a clean slate. So I remember I started telling guys that I was a virgin. They were like, no, you're not. And I was like, oh, damn. <laughs> so during that time, like random things started happening. I would be walking down the street. Someone would hand me a Bible. My grandma, who I kind of had a distant relationship with because I couldn't really relate to her because I knew what I was doing. I was out here in the world sinning and doing crazy stuff. Mm -hmm. So we didn't have a relationship. So one Sunday, she came up to my bedroom and she handed me a gospel track with the gospel on it. And that was the first time I ever even knew what the gospel was. I, the first time I even knew what Jesus did, who God was. And so I did the prayer of uh, repentance. And on the card, it was basically find a church to go to. That was like the next step. And obviously, I'd been out of church for a while. And it was kind of awkward for me to be like, oh, mom, can I come to church? My mom didn't know the conversion that happened in my bedroom, in her house. Mm -hmm. And so um, it was kind of awkward for me to be like, okay, mom, can I go to church? So my niece, who was around about six years old at the time, she was doing like a, a play at church. It was my opportunity to like go to church. And basically I heard a word that convicted my soul. I was so afraid of dying. That was one of my biggest fears. I didn't know what, what would happen after I died. So the pastor was preaching on like my name being written in the Lamb's Book of Life. He gave an altar call and I just went to the altar and I never looked back since. <laughs> that is so beautiful. What a blessing yeah. that you were able to do that. Because I know for me personally growing up, my story sounds very similar to yours in the sense that I grew up in a single parent home. My parents divorced when I was around three. And my dad is still and was in my life in a sense of like picking us up on the weekends, but there was no connection. And yeah. I found myself doing the same thing where I was like constantly, I don't think I was necessarily seeking validation. I think I was just a bit boy crazy. And like my mom would <laughs> drop me off at camp and be like, don't come back with a boyfriend, <laughs> you know, but at the same time, she also wasn't teaching me about boys like she would get yeah. annoyed if like boys would call or send mail but then she also wasn't talking about them at all or teaching me and so I found yeah. myself in those same situations as you were just kind of like going wild and I knew God but I did not feel the need to repent at that age so I right. think it's beautiful but did your sisters see that you were going down that path like did they try to guide you or your mother, like if you're drinking and smoking and doing those things, didn't they notice? <laughs> <laughs> I was at my cousin's house on the weekend. And I was, he was asking me like, when you were growing up, was you like, who was the bad one? And I was like, I was bad, but I was very quiet about it. Yeah. And I said, I didn't ask my mom to do things. I told her, I said, oh. mom, I'm going here. I'm doing this. And my mom was so preoccupied with my siblings that 
I guess she was just like, okay, like, I don't know. I feel like it was a lot of like ignorance. She didn't really know what I was doing. Mm-hmm. A couple of times, like I got caught stealing the day before we were meant to fly out to Dominica, actually. Almost got arrested. And that was like probably like one of the times when she was like, okay, I don't know what she's doing with her life. There was also a time when I almost got excluded permanently from high school and my mom had to come in and save me. There was no direction. Honestly, I almost feel like I raised myself. Wow. And me and my sisters kind of had like a strange relationship when I was younger. They used to bully me and we kind of just like used to argue and fight. It wasn't really like a loving sister relationship like what we have now. Okay. How many years apart are you and your sisters? So my sister is one year older than me. Wow, that's it. And then my brother is one year older than me. And then my oldest sister is like, I don't know, seven years older than. Okay. Yeah. Something like that, yeah. So you were really close in age. One year is like literally nothing. So Yeah, we I was mean, basically supposed to be twins, but my sister wanted to have her own identity. So she kind of pushed me aside. And I was always kind of begging for her attention, like hanging out with her friends kind of thing. Mm-hmm. But I don't think she even knew the extent of what I was doing. It wasn't until I actually told my testimony online mm-hmm. a few years ago that my family even knew like the extent of what I was up to. Because wow. I feel like as young people, we can hide it very well. Yes. It's so easy, especially when you're like low key about it and people wouldn't expect certain things from you. I feel like it's it's like almost too easy to hide it. (laughs) But like you said, like your mom didn't guide you about boys. So I feel like even in the absence of those conversations, a lot of things take place. And I feel like a lot of, even if parents are watching this, like you need to be involved. You need to know what your children are doing. And even if you create a relationship where they can come and tell you things, because some children and their parents don't have the relationship where they feel comfortable enough to tell them what's happening mm-hmm. or how they're feeling or what's going on in their bodies or if they want to do X, Y, and Z. We didn't really have that open relationship because she was so busy. So I think it's really, really important. It is so give, important. Give a child a sense of direction. I didn't have direction at all. I did my own thing, literally. Same here. Still do. do. (laughs) (laughs) Same here. That's why I do what I do because I'm like, man, my story could have ended completely different. Thank God it didn't. It's wonderful that you're able to even tell these things now. So you went from being someone who was just kind of like doing whatever she wanted with boys to having a journey of celibacy where you decided when you got saved that you were going to repent to change yes. your thinking, to stop doing what you knew that God didn't want you to do and yeah. take on celibacy. So how long were you abstaining for initially? The moment I got saved, it was like I knew instantly like God was not wanting me to carry on that lifestyle at all. Surprisingly, one of the easiest things to let go of. I don't know how. I guess it's the grace of God because I was very active before that. But it was like almost a conviction. Like I knew God did not want me to be carrying on like this. I didn't have to read it in my Bible. It wasn't taught at church. But I just knew that this wasn't what God wanted me to do. So from that, that was 2007 until 2018. That celibacy lasted for... (laughs) (laughs) Well, how how did you deal with temptation while being celibate? When you were dating a guy, like was it something that you announced when you first started dating someone? Like, look, just so you know, I'm not going to have sex with you. Or was it something that kind of came up later? Do you know what? Looking back, I'll be honest with you. I didn't really date those okay. 10 plus years. I wasn't actively dating. I probably saw two, three people at that time. Mm-hmm. But I think everyone knew. 
everyone, everyone knew, knew that you were I was, celibate. I was abs- that I was abstaining. Yeah, that I was celibate. So, okay. but like I said, I wasn't entering relationships. I wasn't dating. So, I don't think I would have the same story as most people that have the temptation. And I always said that temptation happens when desire meets opportunity. If there is a desire, but there's no opportunity. If there is an opportunity, but there's no desire, nothing can happen. So I always made sure that I wasn't putting myself in these predicaments. You know, I knew what I was doing. And I think the longer I abstained, the easier the temptation got. I see. But then at a certain point in time, you did want to date, right? Yes. Okay. I guess. Yes. So when that <laughs> when that time came where you did want to date and you were dating a, yeah. a guy. Yeah. I told him straight away. You told him straight away. Okay. Yes. Do you feel like that scared off any men that you thought were like good men? Or do you feel like it kept bad ones away from you? Oh, it definitely kept the bad ones away. But I do still feel like some men see it as a challenge. Even if you tell them, they'll be like, oh, okay, I'll do it for you. And there were like maybe two people that they did do it for me. Mm-hmm. So I didn't have that struggle in that sense. But like I said, the most of those 11 years I was spent by myself. So that temptation was not huge. Mm-hmm. But people around me would always be like, oh, it's easy for you to be celibate because you're by yourself. Like get into a relationship and then tell me how that works out for you. And I'll be like, okay, whatever. I guess that's how I felt by Mm -hmm. getting too close and getting into a situation with somebody. After a certain point in time, you ended up having sex. How long did you go being celibate? You said 11 years? It was 11 years. 11 years. So why did that happen? Why was it that you were able to break your celibacy at that point in time? So I was definitely pushing the limits. I was definitely going too far. You know, they say how far is too far. You kind of like keep on pushing and pushing and pushing. I feel like even during my 11 year journey, if I'm completely honest, there were like limits that I was pushing, not consciously, but subconsciously I was pushing the limits. Like, you know, a little flirting doesn't hurt. A little kissing doesn't hurt. Do you know what I mean? So I kept on pushing and pushing and pushing. And when I met someone that I was actually interested in, in and someone that I was equally interested in me after being alone for so long it was like new and it was fun and you know spending more time alone together and so playing with fire that's Mm -hmm. why I would say and I think when it happened I could have easily got back up and said you know I'm going to start over again but my mind was so frazzled that I was thinking because I got saved and I became celibate at the same time I didn't realize I tied my celibacy up with my salvation. Mm. So I'm thinking, yo, I'm not saved anymore. Like, I don't know what's going on. Like, and it kind of took me on the journey that I'm just like, like, how do I get up? And if I knew it, and I feel like the devil like lied to me in that moment and was like, you got it now. Like it's over now. You ruined it. You threw away 11 years. Like mm-hmm. you ruined it. And I battled with myself for months and months and months and months, even after ending it with that person. Cause I didn't know how to get back on the journey. I didn't know how to get back. At the same time, there were needs being met because I think prior to that, I kind of got disillusioned with God because I felt like, okay, I'm being celibate. I've been celibate for 11 years and I'm still unmarried. Like, what's going on, Lord? Like, God, like, Mm -hmm. I'm doing the right things. Like, where's the husband? Like, what's going on? In all of that, it was all of those things kind of tied together, which created the opportunity for that to happen, you know? So it wasn't even like you were necessarily disappointed 
with yourself, you were kind of like angry with God in, in a way during that time? No, after the fall, I was definitely disappointed in myself. Okay. But prior to that falling, subconsciously, I was disappointed in God because I felt like I'm doing the right thing and you're still not bringing me the right, like the person, like what's the delay kind of thing. Mm -hmm. But that's all subconsciously. So when it happened, that's when I went back and I was like, okay, what's the real reason? Like, what's the real reason this was able to happen? Mm, so yeah. I was like brewing underneath. Brewing. Yeah, it was <laughs> <Yeah>. brewing. <laughs> That's all the enemy. That's all the enemy. But it is important for people to know that when they yeah. do fall off in any way, whether it's sex or drinking or lying or stealing, whatever it is, it doesn't yeah. change anything because that's literally why Jesus died for you, to have the grace to be able right. to get back up. I was just so hard on myself, even as a Christian. I felt like the only thing that I had a grip on was this celibacy part. Like I felt so like, I guess, confident in my own flesh. Yes. And my friend said to me like, you're using your celibacy as a cloak to cover everything else. You thought as long as I'm perfect in this area, I'm a perfect Christian, you know? Right. So it was almost like self-righteousness that was all kind of entwined in it. And so that's why when I fell off, it was I was so hard on myself because I'm like, I did this. I I did it for 11 years. I, 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 I. So I think the falling was inevitable mm -hmm. and it also was necessary. Mm, I like that. You're right. Yeah. You put so much of it on yourself and you weren't even allowing God to take credit for what was going on. And so because exactly. you did it, then you fell, right? Yes. I heard exactly. someone say that. It was a pastor. I heard him say that. I is the most foolish letter in the alphabet. <laughs> <laughs> And it's like, you know, we we put so much on ourselves, but if you would have really actually given that whole entire situation yeah. to God fully, I do think that things yeah. would have been different. But this is part of what needed to happen because you felt like yeah. the celibacy was the one thing and that needed to happen for you to be like wife material or wife ready. But yes, there are so yes. many other things that have to happen. <laughs> <laughs> I was watching one of your interviews where you talked about dating a guy who you were really interested in and he ended up turning out to be a boy when you thought he was a man, right? Ooh, yeah. <laughs> what like, is which it? one is that? Oh, my ex. Yeah, of course. <laughs> <laughs> in your eyes, what is a man to you? What is a real man in your eyes in respect to dating? Someone that is led by God. And I know it sounds cliche to say, but someone that fears God, okay. someone that is accountable to God. I always say like, if he can't be faithful to God, he can't be faithful to you. Like, it's like impossible trying to ask that of, of a mere man. So someone that is God's son, right? Because we're all God's children, but we're not all sons. We're not all daughters. Someone that actually has a relationship with God and is actually listening to him. Someone that's respectable. To me, you have to be respected. Like you have to be revered because of your lifestyle, how you live. You have to have a good reputation. People can vouch for you. Your pastors can vouch for you. Your friends can vouch for you. I was watching a wedding video. My friend got married and like his friends were vouching for him as him being a good man, him being a solid man. So someone that is definitely respected and respectable, someone that's independent and can look after themselves. And someone's manly. There's so many feminine men these days that it's just like... Mm -hmm. Yeah, a man who actually likes being a man. Yeah, that actually knows <laughs> what it means to be a man. You know, right. he's responsible. He has to be responsible for his life, 
Um, and that shows me that he can be responsible for me and my family, our family that we create. That's beautiful. When you talk about a man who is God's son, I think something that gets women misled is sometimes I'll meet a man and he'll say he's a Christian. And they're yes. like, yes, got it, done, signed and sealed, <laughs> right? But there are levels. And I think what's really important in that is that the man has been broken. The man mm. has been broken and rebuilt, which is really what it takes for you to really be a child of God. Like you have to... Yeah have been at the place where you have fully surrendered your life over to God and not just say yeah. you're a Christian because you yeah. believe in Jesus. Right, <laughs> right, right, right. But and that's what, like, even on my list of, like, what I'm requiring from a man, he has to have a testimony. Like, I am nervous of people that say that they grew up in a church yeah. or their mom's a Christian yeah. or they're a Christian by title or Christian by birth, which you meet a lot of. But I'm like, okay, but what's your testimony? Mm -hmm. And if someone can't tell me their testimony, I'm very wary because it's like, okay, as Christians, we're translated from, from darkness into light. We've actually been transformed and changed. If you don't have a testimony about how God has worked in your life, I don't know if you, I can't, I don't know if I really believe that you're a Christian. Do you know what I mean? If there wasn't a conversion, you yes. know, I don't know if I can believe and really trust that person and I do want someone that was in the world and that is done with it mm -hmm. because there's a lot of Christians even nowadays they've never experienced the world so they're still hungry for it they still feel like there's something in it you know and that to me is like a turn off like I need you to be done like hands washed like in the world but not of the world still able to reach out to other people because they're still called cool to be a light to people but know that your past is done. Like you've been there, done that. You've done all, done all your sinning. Mm -hmm. Please let's, let's, let's move on. Let's grow up. Let, let's mature in the faith. You know, that is so deep. Let me tell you what you just said is so deep. Even for me growing up in the church, I think that's why it took me so long to be able to give my life to Christ is because I grew up with that self-righteous attitude. Like I was born in the church. My grandmother's a bishop. This is <laughs> not. And even though I was, sinning and living a very simple lifestyle, I still felt that because yeah. I was a Christian and because I yep. went to church, I was saved. I didn't even know what it yeah. meant. I didn't even know what it really meant to be converted because <laughs> I thought I already was because I was a Christian. Right. So right. I think it's important when you grew up in the church or when you were born into the family of someone who was a pastor or yeah. anything like that, because you think that it's tacked onto you immediately just by no, claiming it. No, and it's no, not. No, no, no. Because even when you, when you have a testimony and you can look back on not what God did for your mom or your dad or your pastor or the person sitting next to you, what did God do for you? Like mm -hmm. that's your testimony. Mm -hmm. And when you realize like where you were and where you are now, like it gives you a reverence for God on a different level. You don't know about him. You know him. And, and like so, you said, yeah. you went from one place to another because some people will give you some testimonies. Oh, God got me this job. Oh, God took me oh. from this. <laughs> but what have you done because of that? What have right, you done? Right, right. Have you right. translated from the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of light? Are you still wanting to go to the club and do all these different things of the world? Right? Yeah. Are you still interested in that? And I think it's hard for men. I think it's very difficult for men to be able to leave the world because of their friends, because of not looking cool. Ooh, right? Yeah. It's like yeah, they yeah, have yeah. such a hard time standing for Jesus or yeah. even claiming Jesus, really, 
because they're just so concerned about what the people around them are going to think. Yeah. But that's why it's so important that when you become a Christian, that you actually get Christian community. Like people that, but you're different now. You can't be like, if you change, you can't be hanging around with people that are still the same. They're like your old you. They keep reminding you of your old you so you can't even grow. Right. You know, I was lucky enough that when I got saved, mm-hmm. I didn't have to have any conversations with the people around me. It just, I just naturally separated from them and joined the church, joined the Christian community. There's a, when I got saved, there's a, a big young Christian community that we would go to like gospel events every weekend. There was something different. Mm-hmm. We were all living this life. We were all like on that journey. And I feel like that really supported and encouraged me to keep on going at that, in that direction. They say that bad company corrupts good morals and yeah. you can't be in this world and still have friends like that. You can still be cordial and nice to people, mm-hmm. but in a circle, they're going to influence you. Who's in your inner circle? They're going to influence you. That's it. That's it. That's that's real. And the beautiful thing about being in Christ is that even though you may be rejected from the people that you once were close to, you have a brand new life and and Christ will never reject you. And you talked about having rejection as a teenager. Do you remember what that was like or what happened when you were first rejected? I think my first rejection was for my sisters. And I so badly wanted to be like like them. They're mm-hmm. my older sisters. Like they're your first real friends. And I just felt like every time that I would like I remember my mom would dress me and my sister that's one year older than me in the same outfits. And she'd be like, I don't want to look like her. I don't want to dress like her. So it was like those subtle things as a child was like okay, so what's wrong with me then? Like, why don't you want, like, why can't I come out with you and your friends? Why do you, why do you always want me to hide? Like, why do you always want to hide me? So I almost felt like, is there something wrong with me? Am I ugly? Is she embarrassed of me? Mm-hmm. And so that caused me to, as a, as a child, to honestly transform my, my appearance, really. Mm-hmm. When I was in school, I remember I was so extra. I would always change my school uniform, accessorize hair, accessorize hair, put in hair extensions, makeup. It wasn't really makeup back then. It was like lip gloss and some gold eyeshadow, but like it wasn't like makeup, makeup, but I just always wanted to add on and change and, you know, fit in. And because being dark skin Mm -hmm. in a predominantly white school at the time, like no one's checking for you. You're not getting any attention. I got, I got zero attention in school, Mm -hmm. high school. And I think, that played a part as well. But when I think about real rejection, it was like my sister's not accepting me, them calling me names, them commenting on my appearance, them commenting on my, you know, intelligence. It was hard. I'm so sorry that that you experienced that. Just out of curiosity, your sister, are they the same complexion as you are? No, they're lighter. Ah, so there's that too, right? Yes, yes. That does make a difference. I remember even in school, like my one girl in school would be like, how can you guys be siblings? She's lighter than you. And I'm just like, This happened all the time with my sister and I, because I have a younger (laughs) sister and she's a few shades darker than me. And this was a problem throughout our entire schooling. And she's only two years younger. She reminds me of you in the sense of like, always wanting to be around me and follow me. And I, listening to you now, I kind of wonder if she had some of those same experiences. I wasn't mean to her or anything like that, but I definitely wanted her to have her own identity. Identity. Uh, Are you middle child? No, I'm the oldest. It it, it was just the two of us growing up. It was just the two of us. So it's like, it made sense for her to do that. But at the same time, (laughs) 
I wanted her to have her own identity and she wanted it attached mm-hmm. to me. So there was always that that struggle and it definitely did cause a lot of, I think, issues for her internally. And she actually yeah. experienced quite a bit of things in her life, I think, due to that. So listening to you, yeah. I'm like, man, I, I need to have a conversation with her about this. No, for sure. Because even having this conversation as an adult with my sister, she was like, I'm the middle child. And by the way, my brother has Down syndrome, so he has special oh. needs. So my mom was always concerned like with him he was the baby I wasn't the baby he was the baby like mentally and physically she had to be there for him and then my sister kind of got ignored so she became hyper independent Mm. so she told me as an adult she she had to get on with it she's got on with life so it was like every man for themselves that's how it was in my family every man for themselves and I think that's why I felt the rejection because she probably wanted to have a, her own identity as well. But I didn't know who I was. Right. I needed someone to give my identity. My mum wasn't giving it. I didn't have a dad. Like I needed someone to tell me who I was. Mm-hmm. And I think within not having that identity, I had to. I was carving out who I was. And the, the identity that I was getting was wrong. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I, my identity like came from who likes me, who's attracted to me, what guy's calling me, what guy's getting my attention, you know? So in the absence of the identity, we start to, carve out our own identity and it's always wrong it's way less than what god sees us to be you know absolutely and you going to those guys do you think that they could sense that you were not confident in your skin or were you so extra and so like i was extra okay i was always confident like i didn't have low self-esteem to the point that it was showing outwardly right and even at the time, I didn't know that's what I had. It's only looking back now. So for me, I used to think I was confident. Mm-hmm. Now I realize I was conceited. I was so into myself. Honestly, felt like I could get anyone that I wanted. And I did, like at that age. But I when did. you say get them, do you mean like sleep with them? Oh, yeah. Obviously. Yeah. Well, what else would you do at that age? Well, here's that. But I think that's the issue is that a lot of times yeah. women think that we can get them, meaning that, you yeah. know, they will like us enough to have sex with us. But really, yes. That's not really getting them because oh, most men will have Asshole. sex with anyone, you know, anyone who, any girl who's decent and willing, most guys will say yes. Anyone in the vagina it. for sure. Yeah. <laughs> so to <laughs> me, that's not really getting them. But when you're younger, it does feel that way and you feel boosted up and, like this person and wants it's, and it. Right. And so it's, it's boosting the ego, but it's not actually adding to your confidence, like your real true confidence, because that true confidence comes from within knowing who you are so it was that's why I said I was conceited I wasn't confident Uh, so my conceit uh was shallow so the attention from the outside if if you can imagine like it was layering on the outside layer on the outside attention 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 but inside it was hollow that makes sense inside there's no identity there but on the outside I'm like attention so I'm like I'm feeling good (laughs) but when it comes down to it and they leave I'm like okay how comes I can never get past a few dates with this person why am, why are they always leaving me mm-hmm, and mm-hmm. in that being left and the rejection I'm like okay who's next and so that's the cycle that I was saying about in my testimony mm-hmm. it was that cycle of continuing 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 doing the same thing different guy rotation 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 I'm like this is not what I want no this Did you is find not what I want like you said about the whole like getting someone you can get them to sleep with you but this guy's not committing that doesn't mean they're anything. They're not trying to marry you. They're not trying to lock you down. No. They're going to sit with you. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. 
did you find yourself comparing yourself to other women? So like if you saw a woman who wasn't that attractive and she had a man, what, did you say like, I'm prettier than her? I don't understand. Was there a lot of comparisons going on considering the fact that you were constantly improving yourself and changing yourself and upping yourself, you know, and you're on this yeah. constant cycle yeah. of wanting to just be better and better and better. Did you find yourself comparing yourself to other people who you thought weren't doing as much, but seemed to have the things that you wanted? Not at that age. Okay. I think as I grew up for sure, but not at that age, I think I was so consumed mm. that I'm like, um, how can I, I be even better? So my competition was me. How can I improve? Like, how can I look better? So if I went out and I didn't get as much attention, I was like, maybe I need to add more. Mm -hmm. And mm -hmm. that was my thing. Add more, add more, add more, add more. And to the point I was changed. Who, who are you? Yeah. And that's why in 2014, I think, 2017, I did the whole soul surgery and I shaved my head and I stopped wearing makeup. You well, shaved your head? I shaved my head. It's, yeah, it's called soul surgery. It's a, a series on YouTube that I did. I saw some of it. I didn't see that one, though. I do remember you saying... That was the first saying, one. That was the first one. I need to find it. I remember you yeah. saying that you regretted doing soul surgery. I did, Why yes. did you regret it? I regretted doing it publicly. Ah. Because... Okay. And this is like kind of been like my experience on YouTube. I do a lot of self-help and like healing content. And it's very difficult to talk about it and do it at the same time. And this is how people become hypocrites mm -hmm. because it's very easy to talk about something. It takes a lot more work and a lot more time to actually heal. You do the work. Not tell people to do the work or talking about the work, but actually doing the work. And so I think soul surgery blew up more than I expected that I'm now thinking about what's the next video. So from the day I shaved my head, I was in front of a camera sharing my experience with the world. So even though I shaved my head and I was going about and I was living, I'm still thinking, okay, let me record this so I get the content for the video. Mm -hmm. So now I'm thinking about the content and not the actual reason why I did why I did it you know oh, so I, I think my soul surgery was kind of cut short for me because I'm sure you get that kind of get this kind of dissonance from real life to content like sometimes mm -hmm. it becomes very blurry so I'll say that's the only reason why I regretted it but at the time I needed to do that whether it was publicly or privately I needed to do that and it no, de I definitely did help me it definitely helped but I, help people yeah but I regret publicizing it quickly that makes sense. That makes sense. That's something that yeah. I think a lot of us need to learn. Now, you have been in a stage where you came from not liking the way you look, not liking your body. And I want to talk a little bit about your body because you have made content on body dysmorphia and feeling like you didn't like the body you were in. And you've even gone yeah. as far as having surgery to try to yeah. change your body. And looking at you today, you look... Much different. <laughs> I can tell you've lost a considerable amount of weight. And I definitely yes. want to discuss that because this is something that is a major issue, not just in your life, but in so many other women's lives dealing mm -hmm. with this issue. What was your initial reason for doing this, the process of getting a fat transfer in your body? My last video on my channel, I went through my weight loss journey from like young to teenage to 20s. And I always had a belly. No matter what I did, it wouldn't be flat. Like I could not get a flat stomach. So, and I was very insecure about not having a flat stomach. So much so to the point that I didn't realize that I was still slim. 
Mm-hmm. But it's that problem area that I kept on focusing on, like focusing and focusing and focusing on from, from young. And like, growing up, I was chubby. So there was a focus already on my weight from other people. It wasn't that I looked at myself and felt like, oh, I'm bigger than everybody else. People would always say to me like, oh, it's just puppy fat. She'll lose it. Mm-hmm. So I almost feel like people objectified me. Like when I say people, I'm talking about like some family members. They would always comment like on my weight. Not, neg- not necessarily negatively, but oh, she'll lose it. Like it's not permanent. Like she'll lose it kind of thing. And I was like, mm-hmm. they gave me a complex before I even had one. Like, why are you even commenting um, on my body at all? Like, why Why is this a right. topic of discussion? Okay. Why is it a conversation? It was either my body or my complexion. But the complexion was more so like my auntie, she was dark skin as well. So she would always get there and affirm me before I even had an idea that I was dark skin. I was different from the rest of my family. But so that was a positive affirmation. But going back to like my body, I just never felt like I was slim enough, even when I was slim looking back. So 2018, I thought, okay, I've got the money now. The reason why I didn't do the surgery before was I didn't have the money. So I thought, okay, let me do a fat transfer because at the time that was a new thing. I wasn't going to do liposuction, just like do the belly. But I mm-hmm. thought, why waste the fat? Let me put it in my butt. So I kind of had like a small BBL fat transfer in 2018. And that was an interesting journey because after the surgery, my stomach still wasn't flat. I still wasn't happy. So after that, I um, decided to work out like naturally um, in the gym. Never got to my goal, mm-hmm. but I was okay with it. Like I stopped thinking about it until I gained weight during lockdown. And I gained like five stone, which is like, I don't know, maybe a hundred pounds. I don't know what five stone is, but probably like a hundred pounds. Why did you gain a considerable amount of weight? Like that? I was in a relationship. <laughs> oh, I was in a relationship. I, I was eating a lot. Okay. I was cooking, trying new recipes. I was in love, um, happy weight. And I didn't realize that it was piling on to business. I didn't realize how big I was getting mm-hmm. until I actually weighed myself. And that's when I got the shock of my life. And I think that was probably the most difficult size to be because it didn't feel like it was me. I didn't feel like myself. Mm-hmm. And being a public figure, how I look has always been very important to me. And so as much as I was confident and I would still show up, I didn't, there was not a time that I would say, I'm not filming because I've gained weight. I was always confident. That's why a lot of people will say, oh, why did you do your weight loss surgery? Because you still look, you looked good. Mm-hmm. But it's because I never let it stop me from doing what I need to do. But at the same time, when I'm by myself and I'm looking in the mirror, I'm like, this is not me. This is not how I want to look. This is embarrassing. To me, the weight gain was embarrassing because it showed my lack of discipline. Mm-hmm. You know, it showed how far I was, how I allowed myself to get. That's really difficult. And I know this because I know other women who deal with this. And one thing that I have noticed in particular with the ones that I know personally is mm. that these women have frames that are naturally a little bit larger. So yeah. they're more prone to gaining weight that, to be honest, really fits their frame. Mm-mm-mm. But because of the body dysmorphia and the way that they see themselves, they're constantly chasing. Mm-hmm. And what I've noticed is that there's a cycle where they're always thinking about their weight. They lose the weight. They gain it back. They lose the weight. Yeah. And it's like constant. Yeah. So they're never able to just be at peace with the way that they look. Even if you tell them they look yeah. good in their mind, they're like, yeah, well, I still have a few more pounds. to lose. Or, you know, it's, yeah. it just never <laughs> actually sticks. So for yeah. you, when do you think that you will finally say, I look great. Enough is enough. Enough <laughs> is enough. Like, I look great. 
Yeah. And in addition to that, do you feel like you've done anything unhealthy to get yourself to this point? Because I've also seen that where they're doing things that are very unhealthy out of desperation to get to a certain size. I would say I'm happy now. This is the look that you want. This is the one this you is want the look to keep. I want. Yeah, this is this is the look I guess I've been trying to achieve my whole life, to be honest. How did you do um, it? Uh, weight loss surgery. Okay. I had it in January last year. Okay. So that's the reason why I look completely different from like my older videos. But a lot of people don't know me from before that because I wasn't a big girl. I've never been a big girl. It was during that period that I gained the weight. So people seeing me now is like, oh, is everything okay kind of thing. Mm-hmm. But the surgery, I made a video about it on my channel. It wasn't unhealthy it's probably like the probably the most healthiest decision that I made okay when I was larger I had sciatica my bones were hurting my joints were hurting I couldn't breathe like it wasn't that was not healthy so my decision to do this weight loss surgery was for weight control because I never want to get back to that size again well I would definitely say I'm happy with how I look now and I feel like I'm not obsessed my weight is one less thing to worry about now I'm actually very content right now but how is it that you're going to be able to maintain your weight so I have a nutritionist and she's obviously like guiding me with what to eat Mm -hmm. because I had negative eating habits before that's also the reason why I was able to gain so much weight I wouldn't say I was a big comfort eater Mm -hmm. but comfort eating was definitely part of my lifestyle and so much of what we do is built around food that I didn't actually realize that I was you know, sometimes eating my feelings, but I'm definitely able to maintain the weight by what I'm choosing to to put into my body and eating more healthier. Well, that's good all around in a sense. You know, it's important. Yeah. I think a lot of times we overlook food and food is this topic where it's just like this joke where we don't take food seriously enough. A lot of us, yeah. when we get a plate, we just eat it. We have no plans for, okay, yeah. I think I'm feeling a little bit full. Let me stop. And I, it's important yeah to monitor how much you eat regardless but and that's but and that's basically what I have inside because 85 percent of my stomach has been cut away so it tells me when I'm full that's the reason why I've been able to lose the weight because it tells me when I'm full and I even realized now having the surgery that the way I used to eat I used to swallow food I didn't even chew it and so like even trying to do that now is not it's not possible it's not (laughs) advisable (laughs) so in terms of having body dysmorphia is this something that you Mm self-diagnosed or was this a professional diagnosis? Self-diagnosed. You self-diagnosed. Okay. So self-diagnosing as having body dysmorphia, do you have any fears about being pregnant during a time where your body is going to get bigger? You probably will gain weight and you you have to actually gain weight. It's important for the baby. But the aftermath of that is being in a state where your body looks different. And if you're already struggling with that issue, how are you going to deal with having children when I had a really big stomach and when I was like battling with my weight I almost wished I was pregnant because there would be an excuse for why I'm this size like I literally had that thought like I wish I was pregnant and I would be there would be a reason for this so I guess being pregnant I'm bringing life into the world so that's bigger than body image so for me the body dysmorphia and the shame Mm -hmm. was me allowing myself to get to an unhealthy size. I see. And I think that was more so than what I actually looked like because I I was able to rock outfits and I look good big. Like I looked good bigger. I look good smaller. So it's not so much that, but it was more so like the internal thoughts of Mm -hmm. how could you do that to your body kind of thing. So I think getting pregnant and gaining weight, I know I'm going to gain weight, but I couldn't imagine getting pregnant at that size, but then I'll be even bigger. 
I think the size that I am now, mm-hmm. I'm more than happy to to gain an extra few pounds, like with a baby, <laughs> with a blessing. <laughs> yeah. Well, I love what you said about how even when you felt like you were not happy with the way that you looked, you still showed up, you still did your videos. Yes. And I think what's important and beautiful about that is that especially because of the content you create. But whenever you're working in your area of gifting, whenever you're fulfilling your purpose that God gave you, people are not looking at you. They're looking at your gift. They're looking for your gift. They're looking for whatever you're bringing. So that's why people are saying, you look good, you look fine, because they're not looking for you. If your job is just to look good, then that's that's a different story. But (laughs) you're here for another reason. And a purpose. And so, yes, you can do those things because you're on television or you're on social media and you want to present a certain way. But always remember that there will be times where you look amazing and no one says you look good, Brini, (laughs) because Mm -hmm. they're not here for you. They're here for your gift. And if you're overly focused on that, it can also distort the purpose that God has for your life. 100%. And that's why I said, like, I would always show up. Like, I wouldn't say, oh, I'm not feeling good this day. Oh, I look big. I'm I'm going to hide. It was always, the purpose is always before everything else. So even though I didn't feel 100%, like there's sometimes I'd do my makeup and I'd like, I look horrible. <laughs> but the message needs to go out. Yeah. So the message supersedes how I look. And I even remember when I was talking about my body dysmorphia and how like people reacted and they said like, Really, we're not here for your image. Like, we're not here just to look at you. We're here for what you, exactly like what you said. Mm-hmm. And that was like a huge reminder for me because I feel like I spent, I have spent a lot of my life thinking that people like me because of what I look like. Mm-hmm. And so that's why I was so bent on, you know, fixing and changing when I was younger. I think now I will say I do it because I'm on social media. I want to put my best foot forward. And it's not because I feel like people only want to hear from me because I look good kind of thing. But I think, that definitely stems from, you know, childhood and thinking that all I have to offer this world is the outside because that's what the world teaches us, isn't it? That's exactly what they teach us. And so it is difficult. You do have to get into a different train of thought with God and with the word and knowing who you are and knowing why you're here and having a different self-concept based on truth and not based on the world. But what would you tell a young girl who's struggling with body dysmorphia, who cannot afford plastic surgery or liposuction or all the things that others who are in positions can afford? What would you say Mm -hmm. to someone who's dealing with that? I feel like anything that I would say would sound hypocritical to that person because they would feel like, well, you couldn't learn to accept it. You couldn't learn to love yourself. So why are you telling me that? So I would never want to come across as condescending to anybody because I know what I did to get my desired weight or whatever. Mm-hmm. But I, can, I will say from experience, like doing the surgery, like doing the liposuction especially or the fat transfer, I thought I was going to feel happy. And one thing that people don't tell you that get surgery, most people aren't happy. That's why a lot of women, even that do like BBLs, they go to they go for seconds, thirds, fourth. Like it's not one time. It's not a one-time thing. And I think a lot of it is like my soul surgery. The whole tagline was, it's the soul that needs a surgery from Beyonce. Beyonce's uh, uh-huh. uh, pretty hurts. You know, we're trying to fix what we can't see, but it's the soul that needs a surgery. And I think learning to be at peace with yourself wholly, like inside, outside, is the advice that I would give to young women because you can change the outside and the inside still feels the same way. Then you don't need surgery. You need a therapist, Mm -hmm. you know? Mm -hmm. So I would definitely advise women to 
work on the deeper issues that are at play here. And I never want to discredit how you look is important because it does influence how you feel. And anyone that has never battled with their weight can't understand how it is to feel like a stranger in your own body or to feel like who you are up here isn't translating on the outside because you have a struggle with food, you know? Yes. So do mm-hmm. the inner work. You can change the outside if you choose to, but the inside is still the same. Honestly, useless. So in saying that, which is true and beautiful. Yeah. Do you feel like you love yourself then at this point in time? Yes, you're happy with your weight, but do you really feel like you love Brini? I will say yes as an affirmation because I think it's a journey and I can sit here and be like, yeah, I love everything. Like I'm so evolved. Like I've been on this self-job journey and I'm arrived. I don't think anyone really arrives. I think it's a constant reminder to put your value in God and how he sees you and not in the things that the world teaches you or the world influences your value. Because for women, our value does come from our parents so mm-hmm. much so that you can forget that that's not where God sees value. That's not where other people see value. And it's kind of like this lie between the, a lie and a truth that we're constantly battling. Mm-hmm. So I'm a public figure. I have to be online. I have to be present. So I would definitely say it's a working progress. I definitely respect myself. I definitely know that who I am inside is so much more precious than anything people can see on the outside. I think my identity being firm and grounded in Christ, I'm not seeking affirmation from other people. Anything I do to do on the outside is for myself to look and feel good, but it's not coming from outside external forces. So when you post these beautiful pictures and people are like, oh my gosh, Brittany, you look so amazing. And your pictures are amazing. You look Amazing and orange, especially. (laughs) But when you get all of those affirmations, especially being someone who is overcoming this body dysmorphia, how does that affect you? Are you lifted by those things? Do they not affect you at all? Are you clearly you're saying you're not looking for those things, but you do receive a considerable amount of love when you look a certain way. How do you stop yourself from letting that seep into yourself? I stay very neutral like very, very neutral, like surprisingly, like on the outside, people may think or look like, oh, I care about those things. And it's nice. And I never want to take away, like, I care. Like, I care that people are kind enough to show me kindness and to show me so much support. But I kind of very much stay neutral so that anything positive can't lift my head up or gas me up or anything negative can't tear me down. I have to if you're online, you have to stay very, very neutral. You say your thank yous and you appreciate the love that you're being shown, mm-hmm. but you're doing it because you want to do it. Like you're doing it because this is how you want to present yourself. You're doing it because it's a part of your job, but it's not to gain affirmation. But in saying that online is, there's a lot of emphasis on metrics And so I think people can feel a certain way if they post something and it doesn't get likes. Me, all my photos don't get the most love, but if I posted it, it's because I wanted to do it. And so whether you like it or not, I like it. And I think it's about having that internal affirmation where it's like, I'm doing it because I want to. I'm showing myself this way because I want to, and it's my choice. So I think compliments 
are nice. Yeah, but I don't feel like I'm completely moved. In this world where self-love is being pushed so much on, especially as women, love yourself, love yourself, love yourself, love yourself. Do you think that we have blurred self-love with being selfish or being self-absorbed? Because especially in the femininity community where we're teaching women to take care of yourselves and to love yourself and hopefully Mm. teaching them what it really means to love yourself. Do you think that we're now getting into a point where we're just adorning ourselves and focused on things that don't necessarily matter and are not really self-love? Yeah, that we've definitely crossed over the line from self-love to selfishness. And I think this is something I've talked about forever because I think it's important that the Bible says to love your neighbor as you love yourself. Mm -hmm. But some people stop at self, like they don't get to others. And like you said, becoming sometimes uh, the world's concept of self-love can be a form of self-absorption. Like, you know, the self-care movement, the even the femininity movement, if you're doing all these things and it's just I, 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 naturally as humans, we're selfish anyway. Like you don't have to tell yourself to feed yourself. You And it's interesting. I heard a pastor say that we as human beings, we already love ourselves. Like we already love ourselves because that's the reason why we feed ourselves. That's the reason why like actually take care of ourselves. That's the reason why we want to have a good job. Why we want to make money because we already do love ourselves. I think self-love is to be taught or preached to the people that don't see their worth, that don't see their value, that really do have low self-esteem. And I think selflessness needs to be taught to those people who now have evolved. Like they, they're at that place where they've got this and they can go on luxury vacations or whatever. If it stops at you, it's not self-love at all. And I teach people to be self-full, self-full enough, full enough to be able to pour out to other people. But other people should always be your focus. It shouldn't be about you. It shouldn't start and end with you because That's how we create a very toxic, selfish society. And I think we're actually there. And this whole like main character energy, Mm -hmm. like I get it. I feel like everything starts off harmless. Right. And then we just take it too far. (laughs) And I think that's the same thing with self-love. Like it's like, oh, I love myself. No, don't let this person. (laughs) And it's just just like, it's just like so much that it's like we're losing the essence of what it truly means. And like our heads are being blown up and like, even in dating or trying to find someone, it's like, well, if he can't do for me what I can do for myself, then why do I need him? And then we're creating a culture where we, where we don't need each other. We don't need men, but you still want them. So it's like, where does the man fit into your self-love, you know? <laughs> and But then it's like, when you say that, it's like, people are like, well, shouldn't I love myself? And it's like, you already love yourself, okay? Like, now get over yourself. Like, now move past yourself, you know? That is yeah. so beautiful, self-full. I love that. And yeah. like you said, when you are self-full, you yeah. already love yourself. But because you know what great is for yourself, you're able to pour greatness into someone else. So if you right. are buying someone a present, you're not going to get them the cheapest thing. You're going to get them what you would give yourself. That's what Self. it means to love your That's neighbor. That's what it means. To- as yourself. That's what it means. That's what it means. Yeah. <laughs> what you would do for yourself, do it for others. Yeah. And nothing less and nothing yes. less. Thank you so much, Brittany. That was so beautiful. You Thank shared you. so many wonderful personal things with us today. And I really do know that this is going to bless people. It's going to help heal people. And Thank what you. you're doing is just so powerful. And this is only <laughs> the beginning. I cannot wait yes. to see what God is going to do for you. 
So thank, thank you. Thank you so much. You're I welcome. feel like I had a, like a therapy session. Oh. <laughs> You're a great host. <laughs> yeah, I know. I know. I wish I was there with you. But like, yeah, I know. No. We have to definitely meet up. Hopefully Where, where do you live? I live in Los Angeles. Oh, LA. Okay. Yeah. I'm, I'll be out there this year. Oh, yeah. Okay. Well, yeah, we yeah. can do this again when you come down. You can come yeah, to my sure. Where can they find you, Brini? <laughs> Find me on YouTube, Brini Lee, youtube.com forward slash Brini Lee. Find me on Instagram, Brini Lee, uh, Twitter, Brini Lee. My podcast is called The Pep Talk Podcast. It's available on Spotify, Google Podcast, and iTunes. And I've got a vision board party coming up very, very soon. February the 4th, Dr. Michelle will be on our panel as well. So it's really, really exciting. We're going to be talking about vision and planning for the future. So make sure you guys buy your tickets it's, the link is in my bio on my instagram so yeah do Yay. check us out thank you yes. so much brini i look thank forward you. to seeing you soon and thank, thank you, you so all for watching bye-bye